In this episode of Movies in the Black, we have Charlie Brown, and yes, that is his real name. He worked as a locations manager and in the locations department in New Orleans, Louisiana. For quite some time, he's worked on all kinds of really awesome projects. I think he said his last project he worked on there was Logan, the Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie. And he's got he's full of really interesting stories about the locations department. I thought he would be an interesting interview because it's just a part of the production that you don't get to hear a lot about very often. So let's enjoy this episode with Charlie Brown. Thank you for joining us. Charlie Brown. How about you go ahead and introduce yourself, just a little bit about who you are, kind of your background in the film industry. Sure. Um, I am from Pennsylvania, and I uh, went to a film school at Penn State University, and uh, after school, moved down to New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, that was in 2002, 2003, and I wanted to get into the film industry down there, which was uh, just starting to take hold thanks to state tax and skin incentive and I got my foot in the door in uh, the locations department over the next 10 to 12 years I worked on uh, a whole bunch of feature films and um, episodic television series as well as some print scouting and commercial scouting and uh, I've, I've done just about every type of location <laughs> scouting you can do as, as well as the uh, other jobs that are within the locations department I've kind yeah so kicking around that department for a while now how long how long is it that you've done that i started i think the first my first locations gig was on a movie called flakes that was shooting uh in 2003 okay in new orleans and i uh have have been doing that um the last uh movie i did locations on was uh logan which shot 2017 oh yeah yeah i'm sure people know that so, movie so. <laughs> yeah yeah and you've done what what's some of the most interesting projects that you've kind of done that you enjoyed working on necessarily the biggest ones but my favorite project was i i did a i guess about three or four years on an hbo series called treme that was uh mm. done by david simon after the wire um and it was all about people in new orleans uh recovering from hurricane katrina and piecing their lives back together. Um, and it was a really rich, culturally fulfilling project to work on for uh, that period. And it was a great group of people to work for. And it was my first experience working for HBO, who in my experience tends to let the filmmakers uh, have a little more room to breathe and create than, than a lot of the other studios that I've worked with. So that was probably the, the best scouting experience I've I've had um, other interesting. Pro- I worked on the Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons, which is oh, a David wow. Fincher <laughs> film. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, that was just a lot of fun to watch get made. It was such a technically uh, ahead of its time movie. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, Fincher was was he as uh, intense to work with as I would imagine he would be? He was a really nice person to work for. I don't know. He was well, you must the have guy. Done a good job then, because he probably would have called you out otherwise. Yeah, I mean, he he ex- he had high expectations, but he also uh, he could walk onto a potential location and <clears throat> like immediately see how the scene would 
would play out in that location and be able to give you very definitive notes about what like he knows what he wants going which is good yeah right i would rather work for somebody like that than somebody who's just uh very vague and you're kind of just trying to get them everything because you don't know I, exactly what they're going to ask for on the day I totally understand that <laughs> It's the same, yeah. in, you know, even just doing freelance video editing, you know, someone will send me a project or, or tell me they have a project they want me to work on. And it's really frustrating when they're just like, do whatever. It's like, well, give me some direction. Right. Yeah. Much better. I sure. would much prefer someone to be like, do this, 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 and this. And then, you know, if I come up with something that's even cooler, I'll usually do like two versions of something and let them pick. But so locations is a interesting. I remember when I was going to school at the Art Institute in Pittsburgh, that was, and also when I was at Point Park University, they, some of the instructors kept trying to push people into locations management because it's like a underrepresented, I guess there's like less people wor- going to work in that, but it's a really good field to get into, especially if you're somewhere like Louisiana that has a lot of stuff shooting. Is it still that way? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a good, place to break into the industry um, because you don't need any specific like technical skill to like you don't have (laughs) to be able to cut hair or know how to use a camera or run audio equipment or anything like that it's really just about talking to people note taking and uh, figuring out some logistics so yeah it's a good place to push people towards it's also you can you can start making pretty decent money pretty quickly uh right in locations yeah. department you don't have to starve uh being a production assistant the same way you do uh you know if you're in if you're an assistant director uh pa or something like that and it's something that not a lot of people it can be pretty stressful and right uh, thankless as yeah. far as jobs on a set go so you don't have a lot of people who stick around in it for eons and eons and uh and you often have days where you need to pick up uh, a handful of locations assistance so there's lots of opportunities to like get into it yeah to get that foot in the door i would say more than trying to pursue the locations department specifically, it's probably a really smart idea to familiarize yourself with tax incentive programs that different states have and go to mm. those specific places where films are being made that that crew may not be. You know, that's kind of the situation I fell into in New Orleans. Right. Um, was that they had just passed this tax incentive. Uh, you want to, just for if someone's listening that doesn't maybe understand what a tax incentive is, do you want to explain that as much as you sure. can? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're not writing laws, but. No. So um, a state will give you a, a tax credit based on, on money spent in that state and it it works when i say you they'll give a a production the tax credit and it allows productions to come into the state spend a bunch of money and then they get this rebate back on on their taxes and they can even take that credit then sometimes and and use it on future productions that are coming back into the state so that uh, a movie that is supposed to shoot in los angeles or new york uh that's going to cost a hundred million dollars there might 
come to Louisiana or Georgia and get a 25% to 30% tax incentive. And, and right, save, which can be save huge, a quarter of the budget. <laughs> With a budget that big. That's why you see Louisiana, to me, it seems like Louisiana and Georgia kind of have more or less won the battle of the tax incentives. A lot of the other states are kind of bowing out. I don't I mean, actually, Georgia's been dominating yeah. lately, from what I understand. Uh, well, they just had a know, good, like, I think they got to it first before it might have been before Louisiana. I don't know that for sure, but uh, yeah, I think they actually after. came after Louisiana. Louisiana oh, really? had some, yeah, there was a period uh, four or five years ago where Louisiana, they cut the tax incentive for, for one legislative session and then they, they uh, rewrote it. Uh, a little less generously than it had previously been. And Georgia kind of came in and swooped in and uh, rewrote their plan to one-up the Louisiana plan. And they've kind of dominated at least the the big budget featured the Marvel movies and, and that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. Um, when TV, but, there's a ton of TV shooting there. Yeah, but Louisiana's now got a bunch of TV shooting in it as well. And I, from what I understand, New Mexico is still chugging along and, they have a yeah. couple projects there. I know like and, Pennsylvania uh, was on that track. Uh, I actually know Russ Streiner in the Pittsburgh film office, and he was a big player in trying to get us to an uncapped system so that we could basically, to explain that a little further, like the states usually say a lot of states have a tax incentive that maybe is 15%, 20%, 30%. It's a really generous one um, of the money that they spend in the state. And then Usually, though, that whole program is capped at a certain amount. Like, I think Pennsylvania's is $60 million, which sounds like a lot of money if you're making, like, zero-budget films, but that's nothing. It's like right. one, maybe two films a year that can shoot in Pennsylvania and be eligible for the tax credit. Sure. Which they do. I mean, they use it every year. Like Paramount uses it a lot. But they're like, that's a problem whenever it's getting used up every single year. That means there's more people that want to shoot in the state, but are being incentivized to go somewhere else because they have a more generous tax incentive. And that it would be Georgia, Louisiana, and some of those other states. Um, right. But like you were saying, if you're looking to get into like crew work or get into the production department, um, which is a great way if you're starting out and you don't have a lot of like background in like what it actually takes to get a movie made as a, uh, if you're interested in producing, then that's kind of a good way to go to work in a production office of some sort and locations is a really interesting area of that, that people don't think of a lot. Yeah. And especially if you have intentions of someday being a producer, I mean, locations <laughs> is pro kind of a, a crash, a crash course in doing a lot of the things that producers ultimately have to deal with. I always think about it. Like in, there was a time when predominantly films were shot on back lots um, and producers controlled the everything and then as equipment got lighter and people went out into the real world uh, producers had less and less control over the environment and realized they needed uh, an assistant to kind of take some of the more stressful parts of the job <laughs> off their plate and of course that's the part is yeah <laughs> the location manager right um so you you know it's a you, it's a job where you'll have to work with all the other departments um, you have meetings with literally every other department on the show um, because they're all coming to you with their logistic needs. And, um, and so you really get a crash course in, in the nuts and bolts of what actual on-the-ground production looks like. 
Yeah. So a lot of location managers end up, you know, hitting their forties and becoming producers. Yeah. That seems like a pretty, I mean, I see, I've seen that happen with people like uh, unit production managers and stuff. That's harder to get though. Cause it's kind of more common way to go. Uh, sure. If you're looking to be a producer, but and I find uh, you did a seminar workshop like thing here in Dubois, Pennsylvania, at one point, just talking about locations. And I found everything that you were doing super interesting, which I'm sure other people were like, "Oh wow, that's the most boring job in the world." <laughs> yeah, but, uh, all of that, and it's like it, there is an amount of creativity to it. Do you want to talk about that? Like the obviously, there's lots of logistics side to it, but uh, maybe a little bit more of what the places where you get to like feel that creative fill that void a little bit in what you're doing so i i think the scouting is generally the part of the job that most locations folks identify as the creative part right um and you know you're you're one of the first people on the film and you get that script and you you break it down and figure out how many different places these scenes are going to take place in and then you you go out and are the first set of eyes that's really trying to match something that exists in reality up with vision for that and and you're working with a production designer and a director obviously because uh it, it's their vision but sure. um yeah you're the you you get to kind of set up the options for those guys <laughs> I, typically typically when i go out and scout i'm trying to bring back uh, enough options for any given scene that a production designer will be able to look through my options and then have two or three options that he feels comfortable with to pull from that group to show to a director who will ultimately, you know, select the location for the scene. So like when you, let's say you're, you're scouting locations and you come up with the list of potential locations in, in a standard movie, obviously this is different depending on the budget range and everything. What's kind of the process of the decision-making and how, I know you told me about how you kind of have to sh go show them like tour the locations, basically who's involved yeah. in that process. And, What's that like? Sure. So, um, like I said, before you go out, you're you're reading a script and, and you're doing a breakdown of that script and and you're noting you're giving you're giving all the scenes location type names and you're figuring out which scenes are connect. Like if there's a a room, if there's a a hotel room in a casino, and we also see the hallway and the elevator and the gaming floor. Ideally, that's all one location and we should start out our scouting process with that in mind and then when we don't find it all in one location we can begin breaking those things apart but you know that would be i'll be the casino with a hallway suite elevator and gaming floor but you're taking you're breaking down a script and then you're sitting down with a production designer and you're getting an idea for where he's going with the film aesthetically and what he's think what his priorities are for the film and and you're also establishing how you're going to be displaying locations for him and the director you know in this day and age most people want to uh, some sort of shared file system where you're taking photos uploading them when you get home at night uh, into different location folders and then a production designer is able to access those on his laptop but i mean i work i did a tony scott movie where he wanted all location photos to be shot on film and 
developed overnight and pasted <laughs> into manila folders accordion style was it because so they were shooting on film so he wanted to see like yeah i mean i think that was the gist of it but it seems it, like you know was a laborious <laughs> process the, the like, cut down on the number of options he saw for sure because, right right you know a large portion of our time was spent cropping photos onto manila folders but yeah so you establish that side of it with a production designer uh you when you go when once you have a handful of options to show a production designer he'll say i like this one this one and this one and then you set up a time to go out with him and look at him or her rather and go out and look at those uh, potential locations then he will take the photos that he of the options he likes the best to a director and then you're usually going back out for a third trip to these locations with a director who then will select the location and once a director selects the location you're setting you're usually setting up a, a day or two days to do what they call it tech scouting which is going out with all the department heads to every location that's been selected for the film and that's really when you start getting everybody's notes about where lights are going to go and cable is going to get run and how often do you the, go out to those like tech scouts and they decide they hate all the options that you've given them. <laughs> Usually you want the director to have nailed down his yeah. selects before you take the tech scout out there so that you're avoiding that situation because That's once you're on a tech scout, yeah, you're you're with a bus of people and, and nobody wants to waste everybody's time. Has that happened? Something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I mean, being said, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've been on tech scouts where I've been on tech scouts where the director has just stopped the bus in the middle of the road and climbed off and climbed over <laughs> somebody's fence and said, I want to shoot here. <laughs> oh man. And then it becomes a, a scramble to, uh, so in situations like that, cause I've run into situations like that in like independent filmmaking where we don't have really a budget of money to throw at things. I imagine in your department, a lot of times stuff does come down to kind of throwing money at things to get it solved. But uh, are there any kind of tactics you can give for people that are stuck in those situations where there's like last second locations, needs and requests? Like how do you even know who owns the place or those kind of things? Yeah. I mean, I'm, on the uh, example I was just talking about, it, it was a farm field and I had no idea who owned it. And, you know, we let the director go out and tell everybody his idea for the for the scene. And then once back on the bus, the location manager had to make it clear to the producers that we'll do everything in our power to clear the property that was just chosen, but it's not something that had been cleared before the tech scout and uh, that we're going to require some time before we can definitively say that we're going to film there. Right. And generally just being upfront with everybody in the process. How often do you like, go about that? <laughs> go into something like that where you have a location that you are interested in for whatever reason that you aren't able to get clearance for? Uh, it's definitely happened. Um, and there's been ones where, you know, you go back and forth for months and months and months and they fall apart. Uh, when, yeah. when you think you're going to have clearance and, you know, and then there's, as they say in, in, 
most location contracts that I've seen acts of God too. Where, yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I just had a filmmaker in Los Angeles tell me this story. He was, they were shooting a short film and, and they had their like main location locked down. It was this restaurant that they were supposed to be filming at. They go to like get there the day of and find out the person that signed all the paperwork and said that they had permission to give them permission to shoot there actually did not. And the owner, cause the owner of the property was there and was like, I didn't sign off on this and you guys can't do this here. So they had all their crew and everyone. <laughs> and it was like, they had to completely, you know, basically scrapped the scene and went and did, they just changed things around but that kind of stuff is difficult to obviously like you how can you do your due diligence to avoid stuff like that and obviously sometimes it's just happens but yeah sometimes it happens uh you definitely want to make sure that the contracts that you're using um specifically state that the person you're dealing with is acknowledging that they own the property and are the decision maker for Oh yeah, property. This person just lied um, about it. Yeah, sure. And the best way to to kind of um, guard against that is to break up your payments. I I never like paying people until in full until I I've gotten everything I want out of the location. Oh yeah. So you so, basically pay something up front to like show that you're good for it, and then yeah, I'm putting a deposit down, basically. Right for somebody and then once uh i'll usually do it in three payments so a location owner will get third of their payment the first day we access the property with crew like a construction crew comes and then you will get a second third of the payment on the on the day of the shoot and then the third payment will be when you've signed a release Oh yeah, that kind of ensures that I'm getting everything I want out of the process. Yeah, is there any? Have you ever worked on anything that was like smaller budget or like more indie than the the bigger things you worked on? Sure. So like a, that first movie that I kind of broke my teeth on was a really small project called Flakes, and it was being done by a I don't think they're around anymore, but it was a group out of New York called Indigent, who was one of the first production companies that was really leaning in heavy to the digital. Uh, mm. side of things mm-hmm. and it was a movie it was a mike layman movie uh, he had done heathers and it had Zo- zoe deschanel before people Knew were aware of who she was <laughs> yeah and i think you know they had an interesting model because i think they were only spending uh, about a million dollars on the shoot but they they had uh everybody working for back-end points so mm. basically everybody from the lead actor and the DP down to the to the lowest person on the payroll was getting the same day rate, which was just enough to get by. It was like 75 bucks a day or something. And then depending on what your position was on the crew, you would be given points uh, when the movie succeeded. And and I I was was looking for any job in the film industry at the time and they were they were there and they could they were having trouble finding crew because there were lots of movies in the city uh crewing up at the moment and um they gave me to the assistant look or they gave me to the location manager to be the assistant manager and she had some sort of a nervous breakdown in the middle of the (laughs) shoot one day and i became the location manager and that was that but yeah that was a wild 
very low budget shoot where I broke all kinds of rules that I didn't know were rules because I had never done it before, but it was a yeah. fun experience. So. I see that like uh, the more experienced I get as a producer, the more rules I find out about that I like didn't realize were. <laughs> and I'm like, I kind of wish I didn't know that because now I in in like good conscious can't you know do a production without production insurance right sounds obvious but like when you're just starting out you don't need to think about that kind of thing but now it's like okay well that's another couple thousand dollars on the budget and then you know when you're doing really indie like uh, micro budget or low budget stuff all that stuff that's why movies cost as much as they do i don't think people realize all of the things they're skipping whenever they're making a twenty thousand dollar movie yeah i Another reason I was thinking about it earlier today, um, I was listening to a, a podcast. Uh, I forget where I was listening to it, but it was an interview with the folk, with the creators of High Maintenance, um, the HBO series. Okay, and they were pointing out how like all the all the poor behavior of film crews of the past is kind of built into the cost of making movies currently. Like, oh yeah. Because, you know, all these, we're, we're filming all these things in the same places over and over and over again, which, you know, New York, Georgia, Louisiana, Los Angeles. And so they, they've had the, the horror experiences with these film crews. And now the reason it costs so much to go into New York and, and shoot a scene is in part because you have to make it worth somebody's while to potentially have a a terrible experience <laughs> um. yeah yeah i think like in small towns and stuff whenever you first you're like oh we're gonna shoot a movie here they're like yeah let's do it like for free because <laughs> they're right. just, they think it's cool but then they get screwed over one time and they realize oh and so you're right in like those los angeles new york even in pittsburgh like the any like medium-sized city or bigger where there's stuff that has been shot and obviously there's a, a whole range of professionalism being applied there when unprofessional crews come in make a place a total mess and then leave and don't fix it break stuff sure. and don't pay for it like all that kind of stuff starts tacking on to what potentially uh someone knows that they could they could get out of it and there's a degree too of like just the fact that they even know that they could get paid for it <laughs> right yeah when when we were doing logan we shot in a a, a very quick scene in a very small rural town called the meat louisiana um that was basically just Hugh Jackman walking out of a doctor's office and crossing the street. And he gets into an argument with the, uh, the actress in, in the car. And um, it, it was a simple, just closing up one block of the street conversational scene. But the, the town had previous, a couple years prior, had had, had a, a Mark Wahlberg action movie. I forget which one shooting in the town and and they had set buildings on fire and had cars oh, chasing down the street and I, I don't think anything went terribly wrong but it was right. it was it was impossible to convince the the business owners in that town that what we were coming to do was something completely different and much less invasive and that we, right. we wouldn't be shutting down their town for a week at a time and um and it ended up costing we ended up having to compensate people as if we were doing something much more invasive than we were because of the previous experience that yeah they had had have you gotten to do anything anywhere that there, uh, like people didn't have experience that you can compare those yeah i mean i have gotten 
to do things where people didn't have experience. Um, some of them have been like micro budget type things where that we went to those places because we didn't have any money to pay right. for locations and we needed people to work with us for free. But generally when I'm working on something that has a budget, I mean, I'm not trying to overspend productions money, but I, at the same time, I want people to, I, I want to be invited back to any place that I film at. That's kind of right. Well, yeah, I mean, that becomes, like, <laughs> becomes an asset for you too. I'm sure like you probably yeah. back to the same locations or same property. Yeah. You go over and over and over again once you find a place that works. Yeah. Right. Um, so even though, I, so I would rather surprise somebody by giving them more money than they're expecting for a location than then cut somebody's payment down to the to the bare minimum just for the sake of saving production some money right yeah i'm sure the producers are not always the happiest about that but, <laughs> but they also like they know that you know paying for a location and paying an appropriate amount means you're going to have less hopefully means you're going to have less issues with that location um, right. where if you're doing something for free or for really like a discounted rate the I've experienced this so many times. A property owner feels like they're doing you a favor. And sometimes that's fine, but sometimes it's definitely like you're an afterthought to whatever they're doing. And once they find out they have to shut down their uh, refrigerators and stuff because they're making noise in the background, then it becomes a whole different discussion. Sure. So a lot of it's setting those expectations for uh, for the property owners up front so that they're not surprised later on. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I don't want, pro if a properly budgeted film, I don't want, property owners to ever feel like they're doing a favor for me i want them to feel like we're in business together and right. we're doing something that's beneficial for both parties how um, how often have you worked on stuff that was like micro budget and what was that experience like knowing the other side of it yeah the first couple of years i was in the business i did a lot of micro budget stuff and then i i kind of made a personal decision that I wasn't going to do micro budget jobs as regardless of how interesting they sounded, unless yeah. it was like a personal thing for me. Like if, if my friends and I want to go enter the 48 hour film festival, that's different, but right. I didn't want to just like jump onto somebody's project because it sounded interesting, but they didn't have enough money to do anything just because I mean, regardless of how great the project is or how great a filmmaker's vision is, I'm more concerned about being able to come back to locations and right. So I'm, you know, I have done some smaller budget things uh, later in my career, but I generally look specifically for projects that I feel like are going to have the money where I'm going to be able to put together locations in a way that will keep and you'll get compensated. Everybody happy. Yeah, and I'll get compensated for it. So you said that you're up in Pennsylvania right now, not working on anything at the moment. You, you said at one point that you had kind of a team build up down in Louisiana. Do they still work on stuff? Oh, yeah. The They're team still I worked with is still going strong. They, um, nice. they did the first for Hulu uh, last year, and... They were um, hoping that got picked up, but I don't think it did. I, I think that Hulu cut the cord on that one. Hmm. So I don't know what they're doing next, but yeah, yeah. they're all still working and people in Louisiana <clears throat> have, have been busy. I know a couple of them are doing a Jay and Silent Bob movie. Down there uh -huh. right now. Yeah, I heard about that. 
that's awesome. So do you have a way that people can uh, connect with you if they want to, or are you kind of trying to stay off the grid now? I uh, am happy to receive emails from folks. Okay, yeah. You can reach me at charliebrown6 at mac.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-I-E-B-R-O-W-N, the number six, at mac.com. And I am trying not to do social media right i'm successfully not that's good uh (laughs) using social media right now nice i've done a couple like long-term detoxes from social media and it's been usually especially when i'm writing a project or something that's the time i need to like take away from all of that because it's just yeah it's distracting and yeah i i get i personally get way 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 too worked up about me too uh, that's the thing like i people i yeah. hardly know or say it's just such a huge waste of time and energy and like just yeah. ends up pissing me off and like messes with my energy yeah so i'm sure once i have uh something that i'd like to promote or or put out to to the masses that i will be back on facebook and instagram and twitter but for the time, time. being i'm i'm checked out and i'm focused on uh, writing and um cool and growing mushrooms <laughs> <laughs> restaurant mushrooms right yes yes i, I only know that restaurant you, mushrooms. <laughs> i'm sure people would think of it. <laughs> yeah that's a pretty interesting thing too but um all right cool well thanks for uh, coming on and uh if you do in the future have something that you're promoting let me know and we'll have you back on to talk about that sure thing man Thank you for listening to this episode of Movies in the Black. We come out with new episodes every week on Tuesday. If you are enjoying the show, please, wherever you're at, just show us some support. That helps us know who's listening and helps us uh, rank a little bit higher and show up for random people looking for this type of content. That would be very much appreciated. We still need a few more reviews on iTunes before they'll actually show up. They don't show up until you get, like, I think five or so. I think we have maybe two. So it would be awesome if we could get a few more on there. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.